0: After four times of predicting his death and resurrection, Jesus has the greatest I-told-you-so moment in all of history. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through his word and his son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, and this is Brandon, and we are pastors here in Santa Cruz, California, at Gospel Community Church. Like, subscribe, comment, uh, make sure you get the gospel out there, and we hope you're edified with today's episode. Mm. Brandon, we are finishing up the first gospel of the New
1: Testament today. Yeah, And Jesus is the, the first leader to do what he said he would do. The very Meet first one, actually. promises, yeah. Yep, he did. Yep. yep. Well,
0: you know, Trump, Trump did all that, too. <laughs> I don't know if he did, but... <laughs> so many things to get correct there. <laughs>
1: There's not enough time in the day to correct all the things that are wrong with that statement, so... Uh, We're just gonna move on. It. Yeah, we should move on, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um, <laughs> so... Yeah, so we've been seeing these themes of fulfillment of Scripture. Uh, and again, it's going to come up right to the very end in the Gospel of Matthew. Mm-hmm. Um, the kingship of Christ, we're going to focus on this a lot more in the crucifixion. When he's being crucified, he is being enthroned. Yeah. That's, a big, that's a big deal. And uh, we're going to see, even at the very end here with this great, great commission, that this is the orders, the marching orders of the king about how he's going to fulfill the rest of his mission on the mm. earth. So very, uh, very interesting stuff. We'll look at... Uh, Chapter 24, the Olivet Discourse, mm-hmm. which, um, yeah, very controversial passage, I guess. Yeah. So, you know, kind of hard to deal with in a limited amount of time, but we'll kind of touch on a few things there. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, this is, this is the uh, the final chapter in the Gospel of Matthew. So excited. There's so, there's so much good stuff
0: in these final chapters of the Gospel of Matthew. Yeah. I mean, every church mission statement is here.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah consequences for not believing in Jesus, like, there's so many good things. Yeah, absolutely. So we're, we're at the very tail end, and we've, we've been seeing this opposition between the world and uh, the kingdom of God. Yep. And then we're going to see the crowning of the king mm. at the very end. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, let's just jump in. of the text. Awesome. Let's look at the Olivet Discourse. So <coughs> the, it's called the Olivet Discourse because it's a <coughs> speech given on the Mount of Olives. So it's kind of known historically as the Olivet Discourse. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's, he's speaking to his disciples privately, about the end of the age. Yep. So that's that's the question. So he st- it starts in verses 1 and 2 where he foretells the destruction of the temple. Mm-hmm. And then after that there's sort of a prompt here for this rest of this discourse. So in verse 3 as he sat on the mount of olives which was the place where they would meet privately. Right? Mm-hmm. They would gather together, sort of. There, they, they probably knew the owner of this yeah, garden. The disciples and, and Jesus got yeah. a got no. a key or something. <laughs> 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 got a key. <laughs> got <laughs> a know, little ladder to jump over the fence. They had one of those hide of keys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, but but probably that was the reality is that they knew someone who owned this private garden and they were there. And so you can go to the you know the region today. There's a garden with olive trees today. It's pretty Z- cool. That's exactly where, they, where Jesus was praying. And so. Pro- I'm probably not because those uh. olive trees would be very old. Well, you know, I don't know. I <laughs> the, that are that the, area got burned down quite a few times a history. Time. Do, do olive trees last thousands of years? 2,000 years? I don't know that, but I'm going <laughs> to go with no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I feel I think there are some there that are very old, right. but they're not. But old's like
0: 600, 800 years old or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But I could be wrong. There could be ones that are old, as She's Yeah. So
1: yeah. anyway, but they, but they go to this, and he's, he's having this conversation. And the prompt is the question they have is tell us what will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. Hmm. So the the context here is certainly the end of time. Right. Right. Um, But there's a lot of questions from Matthew 24 of what was fulfilled in Jesus or right after Jesus' time, Mm -hmm. you know, around 70 A.D., destruction of the temple, and what is really looking to the end of time. And so it's a hard debate to get into, again, in limited time. But I just want to show a few things that we'll see in regards to the end of time, the end of the age. So I'm taking that kind of stance. Cool. Um, Jesus answered them, verse 4, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. So we mm. see that false messiahs are going to come into the world. Right, People that will want to set up false religions to lead God's people astray. So we have to be on guard doctrinally, right. theologically, to not be led astray in that way. Yeah. And yeah. he says that you know wars and natural disasters will, will happen. They'll multiply. Mm-hmm. Right. Verse 6, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Mm. So he's very clear here. There's going to be chaos and destruction. Things will go from bad to worse. Is the idea when we get close to the end of the age. Um, we've had different times like this in history where it seems like you know maybe the end of the age is is soon. Yeah. But uh, but he says you know it'll feel like the end is near, but it's not yet. So things will get will get worse and worse. Yeah. Also, persecution will ramp up, mm-hmm. right? Verse 9, they will live you up to persec- tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my, my name's sake. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, And then he says there will be apostasy that will happen. Verses 10 to 13, there will be uh, large amounts of apostasy, but there will also be good progress as the gospel will go to the ends of the earth. Verse 14, mm-hmm. the gospel will go out to the ends of the earth. How, how dare you, sir, mm, I know. make noise yes, while I'm speaking. Yes. Um, <laughs> and then he goes on. So he goes on to speak more about the time of tribulation in verses 15 and following. Um, and there's some ties there to the prophet Daniel, mm-hmm. which we've kind of talked about before. But then the, the end of the section, verses 29 and following, talks about the return of Christ. Mm. So that Christ will return. He'll come in power and in glory on the clouds. And he will gather his people, his elect. Yeah. So Jesus is giving a, a picture here to his disciples privately of what the end will look like, um, giving a hint of that of the chaos and destruction that will happen, of the difficulty for Christians but, and the time of tribulation, but also that he will win the victory. Right. And so this is the this is sort of him laying out the story of his kingdom for his people that he will win the final victory, which yeah. is always so yeah. reassuring. <laughs> Oh,
0: yeah. It's awesome. And I'm kind of surprised that Jesus answered it, but obviously he wanted his people to know it. And yeah, yeah, it's a absolutely. beautiful thing. Gives us hope. Gives gives those who believe in Jesus and in God and his plan hope.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. Absolutely. So it's a brief sketch of the Olivet discourse. There's so much you can dig into there, and it's good stuff. Um, but the end of chapter 24 and chapter 25, we have some more parables <coughs> mm-hmm. that have a clear theme, yep. which are in line with. The Olivet Discourse, Mm -hmm. you must be ready for the return of Christ. Because you don't know when it's going to come. You just finish it up, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a parable of the the 10 virgins um, who aren't, you know, some aren't ready for the return of the bridegroom. Yeah. They haven't, they don't have oil for their lamps. And so they're not able to meet the bridegroom. So, it's a very serious warning. The parable of the talents, you know, God gives, or the master gives things, gives money in the form of talents. Um, That's not, our word talent, it's mm-hmm. a literally a, a word that's a sum of money. So mm-hmm. just don't be confused by that. But what are you gonna do with this money that God that the master has given to you? Yeah. Some invest it, but this foolish servant just buries it in the ground. He yeah. does nothing with it. And so God is saying you are responsible for what you're given because yeah. he's returning soon. He's gonna call for an account yeah. of what you've been given. Yeah.
0: Woe to you if you've been given the gospel and do nothing with it.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> there's the, there's this theme. Um, that's that's very important and then this picture of the final judgment, right? <clears throat> And this idea of, as you did it for the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. Yeah. So this is go- uh, what you do on this earth is so important yep. because it shows what your faith is in mm-hmm. and where you're headed for eternity. So Jesus is definitely looking at his mission in light of eternity. Yeah. There's no doubt about that and about eternal salvation, heaven and hell. These things are in view, and mm-hmm. so we need to take that seriously. Yeah. So then we see the the last section is the crowning of the king. The crowning of the king. So Matthew twenty six, Jesus is having the Passover feast with his disciples. Mm-hmm. Um, so this isn't just any any meal. This isn't just you know at least we say the Last Supper, but we could also call it the Passover meal. Right? Right. Jesus' last Passover, and really I guess sort of the last Passover per se mm-hmm. that the church is going to be observing because yeah. it's going to be that meal is going to be co opted. And turned into the Lord's Supper, right? So, of course, we we are taking, I guess you could say, the Passover whenever we take the Lord's Supper, Mm -hmm. but we're taking the fulfillment of that original picture, right? And and we're focusing on the death of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So, just as Passover Exodus was the gospel for the Old Testament, the prototypical picture of salvation, now we have the fulfillment of that, which is Jesus in His death and resurrection. I'm kind of bummed we don't get to, you know, kill a lamb and eat it. I, I, b- I believe that. I believe yeah. that you're not being sarcastic. So. No, no, no. That's good. Yeah, would you smoke yours?
0: Uh, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah maybe do one of those in-ground smoke pits, you know? Oh, yeah. That would be pretty cool.
1: Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. Um, so so he has this this meal with his disciples, and he says, so there's a lot of things we can focus on here, but I just want to point to one thing that's sort of unique to the Gospel of Matthew, and that is Matthew twenty six twenty eight. So he says, for this is my blood of the covenant. So he's, he's having them eat his body, drink his blood, mm-hmm. right? He says, this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Mm. So that last phrase is unique to the gospel of Matthew. No. Now, of course, we believe Jesus said the same thing. I mean, but what's recorded is very selective in each gospel. Right. So he includes that. That is a add his connection to Isaiah 53, mm. 11 and 12. Hmm. Right, that when his blood was poured out it was for the forgiveness of right. many so this idea of substitutionary sacrifice mm-hmm. uh, jesus is sort of connecting a bunch of different stories in scripture yeah um he's connecting genesis chapter 22 mm-hmm. the sacrifice of isaac mm-hmm. the the only son and the the substitution that happens that god pays for the life of the firstborn son yep. by sacrificing a ram instead um, I mean, when Isaac is going, going up the mountain with his father, he asks, where's the lamb for sacrifice? Mm. Well, that the lamb later on becomes this picture of the Passover lamb. Right. Right? These lambs who in Exodus are sacrificed that cover the sins of the family, cover the sins of the firstborn, pay the price, ransom, redeem, however you want to say it, right. the firstborn son in each home. Right. And now, so that connects obviously to the Isaac story as well, as that's his firstborn, his only son. Mm-hmm. And then here, and then we see in Isaiah fifty-three those ideas are brought together in this picture of the servant who is suffering, and he's doing it silently. He's doing it as a lamb of sacrifice, and he's paying for the sins of others. Yeah, and that all culminates in this account in Matthew twenty-six. Yeah, so it's it's incredible how that Jesus connects those dots in such a simple statement.
0: Yeah, it's beautiful. I mean, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Right. Yeah.
1: Yep. (coughs) So he's so Jesus is arrested. Uh sorry, so Jesus is in Gethsemane mm-hmm. and it's there that he's arrested. So again, Gethsemane is this olive garden. Yeah. Not the restaurant. Um, you know, this, this <laughs> all of that where the all of the discourse <laughs> took place, right? So this is his private place. He's praying there. He's um, he's struggling with his obedience mm-hmm. to God. I mean uh, uh, not That's to say the synergy. language there
0: from Jesus, That whole that whole section is incredible. Yeah, that so. he's
1: I mean, this is this I think is a great picture of the nature of Jesus' kingship again. So he's in this garden. He is being tempted, and he is uh, struggling under the weight of sin that's being put on him. The cup of wrath, yeah. And he's saying, "Not my will, but yours be done." Yeah. So this is not a light thing at all. This is a difficult thing, and yet Jesus is submitting to the will of God. Yeah. So the last time we saw you know a man in a garden like this hmm. being tempted was Adam and Eve, right? Yeah. And Adam, the first king, failed in his in his duties. Yeah. And the whole world suffered because of it now jesus is in a garden and he's obeying <laughs> mm-hmm. and and he's going to give blessing to the whole world through that yeah. so powerful powerful imagery and and again there's more focus on the fulfillment of scripture right verse 56 they arrest him mm-hmm. and it says all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled yeah so jesus that's from jesus own mouth he's saying that's <laughs> what this is all about fulfilling mm-hmm. scripture right fulfilling our promises and so they put him on trial. He's in front of Caiaphas, and they're accusing him of different things. Mm-hmm. And nothing's really sticking until Jesus himself confesses who he is. Mm. So in verse 63, the high priest says, because Jesus keeps just being silent, right? Yeah. That he's, again, connections to Isaiah 22, where uh, Isaac is silent as right. he goes, you know, as he's about to be sacrificed. And then uh, Isaiah 53, where he's just silent like a lamb led to slaughter. But jesus does respond to this question the high priest asks him i adjure you by the living god tell us if you are the christ the son of god hmm. jesus said to him you have said so but i tell you from now on you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven hmm. so he just punches them directly in the teeth <laughs> right, with this statement i mean this is if you wanted to be let off uh, of you know and not be killed. This is the wrong way. Right. To go exactly. About that. Yeah.
0: So, like, I know there's lots of interesting things and ways that Jesus titled himself in the Gospels. Why here does he call himself the Son of Man and not just the Son of God or something like that?
1: Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, it's, the Son of Man is actually the most common way that Jesus refers to himself. Yeah. So Jesus never call, says you know the Son of God came right. to serve. Oh, he never uses that title of himself. Right. Obviously, he's affirming that title right here. Right. But he that the most common title he uses is the son of man. Interesting. And that, that's caused a lot of questions as to why that is, because even after the New Testament was written, the title son of man for Jesus was not very commonly used. Mm-hmm. So the early church fathers didn't really use that title for him very much. So it's and you don't see it a lot in the Old Testament. Yeah. You don't see it a lot in the writings of Paul. No one uses it that much except for Jesus. Mm. So I think there's a lot of things going on here. One is maybe um you know, it's a little bit obscure. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit, you know, a little bit, it could kind of, it's a little ambiguous, I should say, in terms of what it could mean. I think Jesus doesn't want to come out right away and just say, I'm the Messiah. Mm -hmm. He keeps trying to hide um, that identity until he is, you know, crucified and risen. Mm. So there's a little bit of that. But really, I think, and this this text clarifies it for us big time, that there is a connection to Daniel (coughs) chapter 7. So Daniel 7, I think, is the key text for this connection. And in that passage, Daniel 7, 713, Daniel sees one like a, quote, son of man. Hmm. Son of man. So that's the same phrased. And, <clears throat> and it says, And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Hmm. So it's interesting because... I think when we think of the, the term son of God, we tend to think of divinity. Yeah. And there is there's truth to that. But really, son of God, its primary connection, I think, is actually 2 Samuel 7, David, <coughs> right? David is God's son. Mm. And then also the way it was used in that culture, mm. Roman culture. Son of God was a term used for the Caesar. Interesting. Okay. And so it has that, that ring of kingship to it. Right. Son of man, when connected with this <coughs> passage... Actually becomes a powerful way of speaking of his divinity. yeah, interesting. As, okay. as strange as that is. yeah you know again, I think both speak to both. Um, but this is speaking of a human figure who is coming before God and receiving all authority from God to reign forever. Yeah. this is the Messiah. This is someone, though, who also... I mean, God can't give authority, ultimate authority, to someone less than him. Right, exactly. So it's it's, it's speaking... I mean, so all these ideas are kind of wrapped into one. Mm, that's and, interesting. Um, I mean, and, it's kind of
0: like, you know, fully man, you know, fully God almost, too. Yeah. Speaking of the tangents of that. But.
1: And so when he says here, because before he he'll, he'll used it, you know, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, or whatever. That could kind of... What is he saying about himself? Mm. Is that Daniel 7? Is it not? Is he just kind of a weird way to refer to himself? But here he makes it really clear because he uses the same language as Daniel chapter 7. Right. Right? The Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven right. is clearly Daniel 7. Right. And so he's saying, yeah, this is my self-reference because I am the king mm. and I am also divine. Yeah. Big deal. Big deal. And it makes sense that they would respond with outrage, right. complete outrage. Taurus so, rubs, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so son, so son of God and Son of Man both speak to his kingship. And they both, I think they both in some ways refer to as divinity. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not, I think often we think of Son of Man as like human, Son of God is divine, and mm-hmm. they're a little more complicated than that. Yeah. But, uh, but the Son of God, in terms of its kingship aspect, will be important at the end of the Gospel of, of Matthew as well. Awesome. So the high priest responds by tearing his robes, which is a sign of mourning, and he says, He has uttered blasphemy. -hmm. Right? So you don't need anything else. Kill this guy. He's utter blasphemy. What's funny, what's ironic, I guess you could say, is that tearing of the high priest's robes was blasphemous. (laughs) So Leviticus 21.10, you could cross reference that. Leviticus 21.10, it says the high priest can't, you know, look disheveled and can't rip his clothes. Mm. So. He, by him doing, it's just a, it's ironic, right? He's saying yeah. he's blaspheming when he's just speaking the truth, and you're the one blaspheming.
0: Yeah, it's it's the yeah, it's the physical evidence of what's actually in his heart. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: So chapter twenty seven starts off with the the death of Judas. Mm. So Judas is delivered over, and then Judas dies. And in his death, the author takes care to note the fulfillment of prophecy. So he looks back to the book of Jeremiah and this prophecy about the Potter's Field, mm. right? We saw in Jeremiah. And we saw, um, we saw also in Zechariah, I believe, reference to the the potter. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. I'm just I'm trying to think on top of my head here, so could be wrong. But um, verse 25 of chapter 27, we see a pretty amazing statement. So as there, you know, Pilate inter- interrogates him, he pilot tries to present Barabbas or Jesus to you know have one of them pardoned for their crime. He wants to get Jesus out, so he puts him alongside the worst criminal available, yeah. and they cry for. Jesus's death right. and Barabbas's freedom, and then this statement, which is so amazing. The crowd says, "says all the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children.'" Mm. And um, that's that's an incredible statement in terms of them saying we're responsible for the death of Jesus. Right. But also, I mean, his blood being on them is also a picture of forgiveness. Right. So I, th- I just think there's a lot in that phrase as well mm. that um, that they make they're going to carry guilt. There's also hope for forgiveness because Jesus is dying. Right. So then, then it's I mean, really prominent in this, as we have mentioned, hinted at previously, are the kingship elements in the story of the crucifixion. Mm -hmm. So in verse 28, a robe is put on him, a scarlet robe. In verse 29, they put a crown of thorns on his head, a reed in his hand. They say, "Hail, King of the Jews." Yep. All of this is meant by them to degrade his claim to be king, right? Or their his understood claim to be king, and yet. Uh, It's also a sign of his enthronement. Yeah, God is using this in the story to show the real identity of who Jesus is Mm -hmm. The accusation against Jesus is that he claimed to be King verse Mm -hmm. 37 and over his head They put the charge against him which read this is Jesus the king of the Jews Mm. and then of course the next verse We see there was one on his right hand and one on his left Mm. referencing back to the to the request of the mother of James and John but this is all This is all a picture of Jesus being enthroned. Yes, humiliated, but his humiliation is also his glorification in a sense yeah. because he is realizing his mission. Mm. He is going on the cross to pay the price of his people's sins, to redeem them, to claim his kingdom that has rebelled against him. Mm. So, yeah, the greatest picture of God's love, obviously, and also God's judgment on the cross, and Jesus... Uh, displaying all of that in order to rescue his broken world. Mm. Incredible. I mean, of course, you can't talk about the crucifixion of Jesus without being amazed at what's happening here. Right. Verse 45, uh, it says, About the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus (coughs) cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lemma sabachthani, that is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So um, he's quoting Psalm 22 here. But this mention of the ninth hour, I think, goes unnoticed sometimes. Ninth hour is when he dies. And um, this is the time when they would in the because this is, you know, Friday. Mm-hmm. This is Friday of Passover, at three o'clock in the afternoon, the ninth hour, this is when they would be offering the Passover lambs in mm. the temple. Mm. So the connection is just so clear. He's identified himself with that lamb in the Last Supper. Yep. And now here he's dying at the exact same moment. He dies much faster than would be expected. Right. Right. I mean, it's usually go on for a very long time, and they have to break the, the legs of the other um, criminals that are up there with him, but, mm-hmm. but not Jesus. He dies exactly when he's called to die to be that perfect Passover lamb. Yeah. So the connections there are just incredible. So we see more fulfillment of scripture right in verse 46 with that reference to the psalm. Um, Jesus is very conscious of this. And then we have an just absolutely incredible statement in verse 54 from the centurion who's killing him. Yeah. Right? Verse 54. When the centurion, those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly this was the Son of God. Mm. Again, Son of God being, lar- in large part, a kingly term. Yeah. A kingly phrase, a fulfillment of the promise to David. Mm that he would be God's son, that his sons would sit on the throne. Um, and, and again, a centurion would know that that was a title claimed by Caesar.
0: Yeah. It's amazing the centurion saying that. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, I mean, it shows that the Gentiles, those who are a symbol of imperial rule, are acknowledging who Jesus is. Yeah. And he is the true king, and he's now on his throne. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Amazing stuff. So then we see the very last chapter here. The resurrection. Mm-hmm. So we end on a on, you know, the most triumphant note here.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I mean Paul goes to great lengths to talk about this, you know, in like 1 Corinthians and stuff. But what's the, you know, what's so important and why is the resurrection, you know, important for the kingship of Jesus?
1: Yeah. Well, it shows that he wins. So obviously mm-hmm. he's. Yep. He looks like he's defeated by by everyone, but mm-hmm. he has the victory, so he is not kept by death, of course. Mm-hmm. But more than that, it shows the nature of the kingdom that he's reclaiming. Mm. It shows the life he's bringing into the world. So the resurrection is not just about Jesus being brought to life. It's about the uh, what that means, the impact of that on the rest of the world. Mm. So Jesus is going to give us resurrection, make us new, and that's going to extend to the rest of creation. We'll mm. to live in a new heavens and a new earth right. where God will reign perfectly, and in a world that is not broken, it's not affected by all the things that we see around us right now that are evil. Right. Yeah. So. So yeah. So this is this is a picture of that final victory in every sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Yeah. What? It, and like, I think you know the book obviously ends with Jesus' resurrection, but it ends with a call to do something. Like, so what's the great commission? The last couple of verses of the the book. What's important about that?
1: Yeah. So this is the final charge of the king. To his people, and yeah, like you said, it's it's the mission statement of every church, mm-hmm. and it should be. We shouldn't get creative <laughs> with that. I mean, just yeah. just take this and and you maybe paraphrase it, but it says everything we need we need to know. Mm-hmm. But it, it is clearly the culmination of so many of the themes in, in the book. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest being his his kingship, obviously. So he starts off by saying, "All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority." So. That all is I mean very comprehensive. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. all of, I have all authority, and it's because I am in charge that I'm now charging you to go and to fulfill this mission, right? Um, you can't evangelize without understanding that God is sovereign in evangelism, right. Yeah. And he has authority, and therefore we actually have a chance of succeeding at this. You know, we always focus on how we might fail in evangelism. But here he's saying, I'm sovereign, therefore I'm going to convert my people. Yeah. go and do this. So all authority has been given to me. Mm-hmm. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Right. All nations. So not just Gentiles, not just Jews. Or not just Jews, but also Gentiles. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. the one with all authority is telling us to go to all nations. That's obviously very important. And this is a echo back to Abraham. Yeah. That the blessings to all nations, all families of the earth we bless through Abraham. That is now <laughs> going to happen through Jesus and through his church. Mm-hmm. And so go out there, right? Baptize. Bring people into the fellowship. Um, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? He gives mm-hmm. the Trinitarian formula here. Yep. And teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. Right. So God's people are to take the complete, the all authority of Jesus, to go to all nations, to teach them all things mm-hmm. that Jesus God commands. Yep. We don't leave things out. We don't minimize certain parts of Scripture. We give them everything that we can because obedience, it, this isn't just a mission of getting people to sign a card or say, I like Jesus. This is one of seeing complete conformity to the will of God. Yeah. So our, our mission is comprehensive. Right. Discipleship starts with evangelism but it continues right as we apply the gospel to lives and show people how to live in yeah. the right way. And then finally he says, I am with you always or, you know, all all time mm-hmm. so the all comes back in again here to the end of the age mm. so so God has all authority he calls us to all nations teach them all things for all time mm. comprehensive, So that, yeah. that that yeah comprehensive ways looking at this is is so amazing and you see this I am it ends with right that I am with you all mm. at all times yeah I am with you going back to the Emmanuel promise mm-hmm. from the very beginning that he will be God with us. And so he doesn't stop being God with us when he goes up to the Father's side. Yeah, when he's completed his mission, he's with us now, empowering us to accomplish his mission. So what could be a better thing to, to focus on uh, this week than that this call of the Great Commission is yeah. very encouraging.
0: Yeah, amen, amen. Well, if you're going to recap, how how should we live? What would you say?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, what what again, the Great Commission, right? Live in light of... Jesus' death and resurrection, his forgiveness, and the new creation he's bringing—yeah, of course. Like meditate on that, think about that. We have this repeated four times in Scripture mm-hmm. for a reason. I mean, this is the center of who we are. Live in light of a second coming; that his work is not done. He's yeah. going to return soon. He can return at any moment. Be so, ready. what is your life about? Yeah, um, yeah, and, and then live out the Great Commission. So we have marching orders. Yeah, right? live a From life that, yeah, yeah, that that invests in the lives of others by discipling them. You're you're not called just to, uh, I don't know, get a degree or do a job or any of these things. You're called to love others by giving them the truth of the gospel. Yeah. So let's do that. Amen.
0: Well, thanks for joining us this week for Daily Gospel. We'll see you next week where we start the Gospel of Mark, right? That's right.
1: We'll see you next week.